Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads on a cold Sunday, which I have been looking forward to because I love a good sweater. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, we're excited that you're here, excited that you're joining us online. We know a lot of people chose to stay in their PJs today. I can kind of understand that, but we're glad uh, for those that showed up. If you're watching us online, share this from our Facebook page to yours, because today we're actually bringing to a conclusion our series in the book of James, our series becoming where we've been looking at what James wrote and the importance of what that really means. Now, for those that may not have been here or you haven't kind of been tracking with us. The actual author of this book, it's only five chapters, is actually the little brother of Jesus. And the reason why knowing that is important is because we need to understand that even the little brother of Jesus did not come to faith in Jesus until after the resurrection. James is around for the entire life of Jesus. He watches, he listens, but he doesn't come to faith until after he sees the resurrected body of Jesus. And then as a result of that, James becomes one of the leaders in the very first church in Jerusalem. And again, all of this is important because it helps us to understand that James is writing to people who are just like him. I mean, James is writing to people who grew up Jewish, They grew up in a Jewish context as it relates to life, and they grew up believing in God. But now they have placed their faith in Jesus because they have seen the resurrected body of Jesus Christ, and they became Christians. So James is actually writing this book, listen to what I'm saying, to believers, He's writing this to believers who are now scattered throughout the Roman Empire. So the question is this, why is he writing this? Why is he writing this book? And I'll tell you, James is writing these five chapters, this book, as a critique. It's a critique of the church that he sees scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Because again, he has a critique And the critique is this, you're not living out the faith that you claim that you have. You're not living out the faith that you claim that you have. Now, I just want to address something really quick because some of you are going to tense up so tight, it's going to take one of our guest service team to unwind you, okay? I just want to say something about the election this past week. I just want to tell you that the election proved that we are a divided nation. And that division is deeper than race. It's deeper than politics. It's deeper than economics. We are a nation that has a divided heart. And no, listen to me, no election can ever repair that, ever. But there's one positive. Maybe now the church will get down to business. Maybe now the church and Christians will get serious about repenting and crying out to God for revival. Because that's where our nation was birthed. Out of the Great Awakening. And maybe now another awakening will save us. I just thought, you know, when James is talking about you're not living out the faith that you claim, that's so many of us. That's who he's writing to. James is pointing out that there's a disconnect when it comes to what we believe and the way that we behave. There's a a disconnect between what we say and what we do. I was watching this past week. I'm, I'm an Instagram real person. Anybody else with me? R-E-E-L. Uh, and I was watching this singing group. They do this thing called Stairwell. Uh, what's it called? Did I make it? Let me see if I made a note of it. It's called Stairwell Renditions of Songs. And they'll get in the stairwell and acapella. They'll sing it acapella. You know how it has all the great acoustics. 
and, and it's really, really good. And I, and I was listening to these guys sing, but I was looking at it and I was going, wait a minute, their, 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 their lips are moving different from what the, the sound is. I mean, I was used to that because I grew up in the, you know, in the time of Bruce Lee. You know, and they never, the lips never, you know, were with the mouth. And that's exactly what was happening in this reel. I was watching them. And really, that's the complaint that James has with the church. James is complaining to the church that your audio doesn't match your video. You say one thing and you do another. Your lips don't match your life. There's a disconnect between belief and behavior. So that's the context in which James is writing. And again, I'll tell you, that's why I believe this is such a practical book. Because James is pointing out to them and to you and to me that our audio doesn't match our video. Give it some thought. That's the reason why James talked about hearing and doing. It's why James talked about faith and works. It's why James last week talked to us about taming the tongue. Because James is saying that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, then there should be something different about your life and the way that you live your life. And most of us believe that. But we need to understand that the primary purpose of the book of James is to inform us that our audio doesn't match our video. And I think it's great for us because this morning I believe that if we're honest, we will all admit, those here, those watching, listening online, that we struggle with the same thing. There's a disconnect between what we believe and how we behave. I mean, I think we all agree with that. There's a disconnect between the faith that we claim and how we actually live our lives. So James spends a lot of time talking about how we can fix that problem. But today, it's going to be different. Today, we come to a place in James' writing where we start to pick up what he's putting down and we recognize that what he's putting down is something different than what he's been putting down the first three weeks of this series. Here, here's what he writes, James chapter 4, look at verse 1. Here's what he says. And again, you know this. You, you know this, but, but again, I'm going to teach this, I hope, in a way that you've never heard it before. Here's what he says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So what do you do? You kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God, but when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get, look at what he says, what you get on your pleasures. Do you see the shift in what James is talking about? Because primarily, up until now, he's been focused on the outside. But now there's this tension, and this obvious tension is now on the inside. Yes, there are fights and quarrels. What caused those fights and quarrels? It's the things that are going on inside of us. It actually comes from the inside. And he's saying there's a tension inside all of us, so it begs us to ask the question, what is the tension? We desire, but we do not have, so we do whatever we can to get what we don't have. We critique other people, we criticize other people, because it makes us look better. We don't have what they have, but we want what they have, so we criticize them. And what James is saying is that God wants to fill your life with good things, but you miss the good things because you're constantly in pursuit and consumed with pleasure, the world's pleasure. And you miss out on what God wants to do in your life. He's saying the fights and the quarrels that are part of our relationships, that those are symptoms of a deeper problem. 
And James is saying now we shouldn't get our eyes fixed on the exterior, but we actually need to look at the, at the underlying cause. Don't just treat the symptom, but consider the cause. You know, like, you know, sometimes you have a rash and you'll go to Walgreens and you'll get some cortisone cream and you'll put it on there and it'll go away. And next week it comes back. Because it's a deeper problem. It's, it's a, you're treating the symptoms, you're the result of something else that's going on. The symptoms or the tensions that we experience in this world are caused by something different. It's actually the war going on inside of us, within us. There's something significant going on inside of us. And, and again, this, this is not going to be on the screen, but if you were, like I told you, asked you to, uh, to read the entirety of the book of James, James chapter 3, James uses words like pride and envy and uh, entitlement and selfish ambition. And what James is saying is, is if, if you, let's picture your life as a bus. If you allow those things to drive the bus, if you allow pride and envy to get behind the bus steering wheel and to drive the bus of your life, then you're going to end up with a life of devastation and destruction. I mean, you allow those things to get behind the steering wheel, that's what's going to happen. So we've got to get a hold of the real problem. We've got to get a hold of the war that wages inside of us because the real problem is not out here. The real problem is inside. It's in here. Aren't you glad you came to Crossroads this morning? I mean, aren't you glad? I mean, yeah. So here's what James writes. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people. Now, again, that, that, I want you to hold on to that phrase because I'm going to come back to that. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. That's why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. When he says grieve, mourn, and wail, he's talking about your sin. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, here's the thing. We can't study the book of James and skip over this scripture. Because this scripture is central to the very thing that James is talking about. Because for the very first time, James isn't just telling us the how. James is also giving us the why. Let me just say this. You can't read what I just read just a moment ago, verses 4 through 10, and get a little, without getting a little convicted, can you? You can't read that without getting convicted. But let me tell you what people do. When we read those verses, verses like that, you hear me read those or you read them on the screen and you say, you know what, he can't possibly be talking about me. But that's what James is talking about. He's talking about you. And he's talking about me. Because we need to remember the audience that James was writing to. He's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. James is writing to Christians. And he's addressing the things that he sees in this world. And we're not off the hook. Because basically what he's saying is that in the Christian life, it's not the hokey pokey. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. That's what he's telling us. You can't live the Christian life one foot in and one foot out. That's what you, you can't do that. Because James is saying every day you have a choice. And the choice that you get to choose is on the screen behind me. It's either friendship with God or it's friendship with the world. Every day, that's the choice. 
Every moment of every day, we're going to leave that up there because I want you to see that. I'm going to show you something else in just a moment. Every moment of every day, you're going to stand at a crossroads. And you have a choice to make. Are you going to choose friendship with the world? Or are you going to choose friendship with God? And James is saying, you can't have both. It's one or the other. Now, let me clear this up because some of you are going to get confused. He's not talking about the world and the people that don't know Jesus. He's not talking about all the cool things out there in our culture. He's talking about the war that wages in here. What he's describing is the systems of the world. Things like envy and pride and selfishness. And what he's saying is that every day you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity. It's either friendship with the world or it's friendship with God. Are we going to choose friendship with the world or am I going to choose friendship with God? Because when I choose friendship with God, that means I'm submitting myself to his will, to his way, to his pleasures. And again, we're going to leave, we're going to leave that there. The passage that we looked at just a moment ago, verses 4 through 10, let me tell you what that should do. That should change your thinking. Because I'm going to tell you, if you really read that, that should help you make the right choice. Because you know what it helps me do? It helps me see things in black and white. Because he's telling me, you can't have one foot in and one foot out. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. See, I, I will tell you this. There are times in my life like I'm putting on my underwear. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Let me tell you, the older you get, the harder it is. Let me tell you, just you haven't got to get an amen in the house about that. Sometimes you just got to sit down and do it. You know what I mean? But anyway, to TMI, again, they don't talk about that over at College Hills. I'm going to tell you that. So anyway. <laughs> but sometimes I have felt like I've been in this tug of war. I just want you to visualize this as like a tug of war. You got a team of people over here, you got a team of people here, you got one person over here, you got one person over there. I mean, it's like a tug of war. It's like Paul said, Paul said in Scripture, the thing that I don't want to do is the thing that I do. Can anybody relate to that? And the thing I know that's right to do, I can never do it. And I think sometimes we have this mentality in life. That, that life is just this tension. And I'm, I'm just a victim to the tension. But that's not how James describes the spiritual battle. It, it would be a mistake for you and I to assume that this spiritual thing in life is just some cosmic tug of war. And what James is saying is that as we live our lives... We are constantly fighting God. God, you know, God is holding on, pulling over here, and we're pulling the other direction. We're living our life pulling against him. And here's the thing. If we acknowledge that tension, that the tension is actually there, that we're pulling against God, isn't it beautiful that God never lets go of the rope? Because the more I understand that God has been faithful to me, the more motivated I should be to be faithful to him. That's why James says in his scripture, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Listen to me, Crossroads. This is not a tug of war. 
this is a lifeline. That no matter how hard or how difficult I pull against God, God will never let me go. But it leaves us at a place where we have to make a decision. Will we choose friendship with God? Or are we going to choose friendship with the world? And I think every one of us can choose friendship with God over enmity with the world. I think every one of us can make the right decision. And James is challenging us to be enemies with the world, but to be friends with God. Don't be a friend with the world, but be a friend with God. And the question is, why should we do that? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Why should you be a friend with God? I'm going to give you three reasons. Here's the first one. One of the reasons why you should be a friend with God is that the world isn't going to give you what you want. The world is not going to give you what you want. It could be better said another way. The world can't give you what you want. But what happens with our life is that we are so consumed with the love of pleasure that we lean into the world and the systems of the world looking for the things from the world that only God can truly give us. And you know this to be true because here's the thing, no matter how high you climb on the corporate ladder, no matter how big your portfolio no matter how big the job title is, all those things come up empty because the world promises to give you things that will never satisfy, things that the world can't actually give. The world can't provide the things that you truly want, need, and desire. And if we constantly go to the world and the system of the world, we will find out time and time again that the promises of the world are always in vain. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because James is telling you this morning and me that if you're constantly going to the world and the systems of the world, you're actually having an affair on God. You're cheating on God. You need to stop flirting with the world. Those are the words of James. Don't get mad at me. I'm not the one that said it. That's what he said. You need to stop flirting with the world. So James tells us, you've got a choice to make. But the reality is this. We oftentimes, me included, choose the world. But the world can't give us what we want. There's a better choice. And the better choice is for you and I to choose friendship with God. And here's the thing. When you choose to pursue God and His way and His will and the pleasures of God, then the further you move away from those things like envy and pride and lust and selfishness, So every day you have a decision to make. Will you go to the God who can give you what you want and need? Or are you going to try to satisfy yourself with the system of the world that over time is inevitably going to leave you feeling empty? It's in vain. So one of the reasons that we need to choose Enmity with the world and friendship with God is simply because the world can't give us what we want. Here's the second reason. Wherever, whatever, God is with you. Now, that's, now, Jay, leave that up there just a minute. To most of us, that's really beautiful. Oh, God, I'm just so thankful God is always with me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. You know, he makes the path straight before me. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. Or is it? Hang with me. <clears throat> it's a beautiful thing. But really? 
wherever, whatever. It's a beautiful idea, but at the very same time, that idea ought to be a little convicting. Like there should be some accountability in the fact that God goes with you wherever you go and does with you whatever you do. So I think there's something that we really need to understand. The way that James talks about it in this verse, he says, Is it not true that the scriptures say that God jealously longs for the spirit that he put within you? And here's the thing, I want you to understand this. James doesn't spend a lot of time talking about why and what that means because his audience then in that culture would have understood something that maybe I think we miss today. That maybe he's referring to this idea that you as a faithful follower of Jesus, that you now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God has placed his spirit, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that God has placed his spirit inside of you. And actually, when you think about this, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. This is an Old Testament idea. Because the word dwell that's used in this passage of Scripture, in the Old Testament, that Scripture would have been translated as tabernacle. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, then you know there's a period of time in the history of God's people where the presence of God was contained in the tabernacle. I mean, they had to, we, I mean we've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. They had to carry him around in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And that box identified the presence of God. And they did that until they built the temple, which was a place where the glory of God dwelled. And in the temple was a tabernacle where the presence of God was placed. But then what happens? Jesus steps out of heaven into history. And Jesus lives his life and lays his life down on the cross. And what happens when Jesus breathes his last breath on the cross? What does Scripture say? That the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Which signified, which says to us, that the presence of God could no longer be contained in a place or a building. But the presence of God now dwells in God's people. So when you place your faith in Jesus, what happens? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are the tabernacle where the Holy Spirit of God chooses to dwell. Well, what does that mean? It means everywhere I go, the Spirit of God goes with me. Come on, this, some of you, I mean... Everything I do, the Spirit of God does with me. And let's just be honest. There are some places that the Spirit of God shouldn't be, right? I think you know what I'm saying. Because there are some things that we do and some places that we go And anytime we do those things and anytime we go to those places, God goes with us. So you know what that made me think? I mean, think about this. Every time I sin, what kind of position do I put God in? Every time I sin, if the Spirit of God goes with me, every time I sin, what kind of, what kind, what, what kind of position do I put Him in? God has to make a choice because he loves me. And so anytime I step away from the ways of God, I have to start thinking about the position that I'm putting him in. I have to think about the position that my sin puts him in. 
because he loves me. But he can't condone anything that is not of him. And so we have to make this choice. And we need to understand. Wherever, whatever. Wherever we go, whatever we do. God is with you. So here's the thing. We need to evaluate as we go about our life and the places we go and the positions that sometimes we put him in. We just need to evaluate that. And you say, well, why, why, why does this matter? It matters because the Bible tells us that the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive and work in you. The same Holy Spirit that raised him out of that tomb is alive and at work in me. So it means that we are being made into the likeness and the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit who is working in us. And God is forming you and fashioning you and making you into a perfect temple for his Holy Spirit. So if that's the case, why would we attach ourselves to the, thing, the things of this world and bring with him, bring with us, bring him into places if God is actually doing a greater work in us, why would we do that? Because if I realize everything I do and everywhere I go that God is with me, let me tell you what it does. It adds a different weight to me. And my prayer is this, and it's my prayer for you, and it's my prayer for me. That in those moments, that I would have the ability not to choose the world. Not to choose friendship with the world, but to choose friendship with God. We should choose that because, again, the world can't give us what we need. The world can't give us what we want. Because wherever you go and whatever you do, God is with you. Let me give you the third thing. Here's the third thing. Even in our unfaithfulness, God is completely faithful. You know, here's the thing. I, I'm not going to put the rope back on, but, but, but it, it, no matter how many times I run, God never lets go of that rope. Isn't that beautiful? God never lets go of the rope. God will never let go. He's completely faithful to us. And, and, and as we read this passage in the book of James, let me tell you, we might just miss the beauty of the gospel and what is actually here. Because if we don't know specifically what James is talking about, then we're going to misunderstand because there was that phrase, I alluded to it, you adulterous people. And James actually uses that phrase. Let me tell you, you would totally go right past that. But I'm going to tell you why you don't want to go past it. The phrase that draws our attention is when James says, you adulterous people. Look at verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Now, here's the thing. Listen to me. Some of you are going to know this. If you read James 4.4 in your Bible, it's very likely that there was an asterisk next to that verse. And can I just tell you, don't ignore the asterisks. Don't ignore them. Because many times when you find an asterisk next to a verse, it's a cross-reference for you to look at other verses and Scripture that will give you a greater context, a fuller context of what is happening. And here's the thing. <clears throat> many times those 
asterisks are there because you're not going to understand what was happening. But the audience in that culture would have understood. So the asterisk is there, so you do a little research, and so you understand the bigger context of what you're reading. And if you look at James 4, verse 4, you're going to see an asterisk. And that asterisk is actually going to point you to the Old Testament, the book of Hosea. And if you don't know the story of Hosea, then that phrase, that label that James uses, you adulterous people, that would be offensive. You adulterous people. But, but if you know the story of Hosea, Hosea, then that phrase is beautiful. You see, in the book of Hosea, primarily in chapters 1 through 3, this is what happens. It's not going to be on the screen. We'll get to some scripture in just a moment. God speaks to a prophet named Hosea. And his original instruction to Hosea was, I want you to go and to marry an unfaithful wife. So God gives the instructions that I want you to go. I want you to enter into this relationship. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, before you do this, you just need to understand she's not going to be faithful to you. She's going to mess around on you. She's going to be on tender. She's going to be unfaithful to you. But here's the thing. Out of obedience to the message that Hosea has been given by God, Hosea goes and he takes on an unfaithful wife whose name is Gomer. What a beautiful name it is. You know what I'm saying? Gomer. I, I mean, if your name's Gomer and you're here and I'm, you know, God bless you and I'll, you know, I, I love you, but, you know, I told my kids, I said, if we have any more grandkids, no Gomers, okay? We don't want any Gomers. So Hosea and Gomer begin this relationship. And again, what normally would have been the happiest day of his life, he knows that she's going to be unfaithful to him. And that's exactly what happens because it wasn't long till the kids started showing up. Kid number one, kid number two, kid number three. And the scripture tells us, I think, if I remember right, that at least two of those are not his kids. So it's not the relationship that he dreamed that it would be. It's not the marriage that he thought he would be in. But what happens is that eventually Gomer is so unfaithful to Hosea that she literally goes from man to man to man to man. She just sells herself out. And as she sells herself out, she eventually became so undesirable that nobody wanted anything to do with her. Nobody wants to touch her because of where she's been and what she's done and who she's done it with. So guess what happens? She's sold into slavery because she's basically useless. And then God speaks to Hosea again. And God tells Hosea what to do after his wife has been sold into slavery. Sold into slavery because nobody wants anything to do with her. God says to Hosea, I want you to go back. And I want you to buy her back again. And again, in obedience to the Lord, Hosea goes and buys his unfaithful wife back for what would have been the equivalent of six weeks of salary. Now, here's the thing. You've got to understand, he's already paid for her once because he paid the bride price. He's already paid for her once, but now he's paying for her again. And he goes back and he buys her out of slavery at his own expense. 
And basically what home, uh, uh, Hosea tells Gomer, I'm just going to ask one thing. I'm just going to ask one thing of you, Gomer. Just this time, please be faithful to me. He gives her a completely fresh and a completely clean start. And it's in the book of Hosea. Now, let me tell you this morning. Scripture tells us why God would do this, why God would tell Hosea to do this. Because Scripture tells us that Hosea is asked to do this incredible thing because it's a picture. It's a picture of how much God loves you. It's a picture of how much God loves us, his people. Here's what it says in verse number one of chapter three. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turned to other gods and loved their sacred raisin cakes. It's about us. It's a story about us. Because what do you do? You do the very same thing that I do. I turn to other gods, little g gods. I turn to other gods. I replace God with the things that I don't want and that I don't need. And you do it too. And, and let me just say this. I don't understand the whole thing about the raisin cakes. Because if you want to ruin anything, if you want to make it terrible, put a raisin in it. You know what I'm saying? With the exception of the little Debbie uh, cakes that had raisins on those. Those were pretty good. He's driving home a point. The people of God often turn to things. The people of God that don't make any sense. Why? Why? And you see, this, this Old Testament story isn't a picture. It's a picture of God's incredible love for us. His never giving up, always running after, always chasing after, relentless love for you. That's the picture that he has. To just help you understand how much you mean to him. And you might know this and you might not know this, but let me put it on the screen for you to see it. Hosea means salvation. You know why? Because you were unfaithful to God. Because we were unfaithful to God. We have turned our backs on God. We have sold ourselves into the slavery of this world. And yet God loves us enough to pursue us. And not just pursue us, but God loves us enough to send his son into this world, Jesus into this world, to buy us back from sin and death and slavery even though he already owned us. Even though he already paid for us once. He sent his son Jesus into this world to buy us back from hell and death and the grave. I remember somebody calling the blood of Jesus the red coins of redemption because it's a picture of salvation. And you just need to know this morning from the lips of Randy Cook that God loves you more than you could ever understand. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. So why would I want to be friends with the world? Come on now. Why would I want to be friends with the world when God did that for me? Why would I choose the way of the world when God has been so faithful to me? Can I just ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes all across the room, even at home? I just want to challenge you that if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, then I want you to ask yourself the question, 
Am I choosing friendship with the world or submission to God? Every day I want you to ask yourself the question. Am I choosing friendship with the world or submission to God and His will and His ways and His pleasures? Every head bowed, every eye closed. In just a moment, I'm going to pray two prayers. The first prayer is for those of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe today you want to start that relationship. Step out in faith, believing that Jesus is who He says He is. Maybe right there where you're seated, whether it's in this room or in your office or at home on the couch. Maybe you just need to say right now, just just say these words after me. God, right now, I just want to believe and claim that Jesus is who he says he is. And believe that he will do in my life what he says he will do. That he came to this world. He stepped into history. He lived, he died, and he rose again to buy me back so that I don't have to bow my knee to the ways of the world. So today I place my faith in Jesus. I turn from the ways of the world and I turn towards you, God, and your son, Jesus. I put my faith in him. Now the scripture says that if you believe that in your heart and you confess that with your mouth, that you have instantly been adopted into the family of God. Would you let us know that you prayed that prayer on the tear-off? Drop us an email. We're doing baptism next Sunday, both services. We'd love to baptize you. That's the next step. The second prayer is for the rest of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. God, my prayer for us is that we would rise to the challenge of questioning everything we do Am I buying into the world or friendship with you? Am I giving into the system and the ways of the world? Or God, am I submitting myself to your will, your way, and your plan for my life? Help us understand. Help us see. Help us know. That you loved us so much and you chase after us so relentlessly that you would never let us go. And call us to be the people. Or let us be the people that you've called us to be. A light in the darkness. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. God, we love you and we thank you for this time of worship together. We thank you for the word that washes over us. As we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.